0: This past week, I uh, had the opportunity to go over to Barnes & Noble over at the Galleria Mall over there in Edina. And I just was wandering around, just kind of looking at different uh, books. And One section I always find very, uh, very interesting is the section called the self-improvement section. You know, you always find at these bookstores... And as I was looking through that section, I saw a number of just interesting titles. Uh, there was a book um, titled Personal Development All in One for Dummies. I uh, thought that might be something I might find handy sometime. There are other titles that I found very curious. Uh, one said, Be Who You Want to Be. Another one said, 10 Days to Self Esteem. Just 10 days, that's all. That's all it takes. Um, And listen, if you don't have 10 days, I found another one that was called Change Your Life in Five Minutes a Day. Uh, You know? Um, know, As I looked around that self improvement section there at Barnes Noble, I found all kinds of uh, books that offered to, and promised, in fact, to help you get organized, uh, promised to help you improve your memory. Uh, promise to help you be more assertive. Uh, promise to uh, help you stop procrastinating. You know, help you to prepare for retirement. You know, all sorts of uh, opportunities. There's one helpful book that I find <laughs> especially. It says, whatever you are, be a good one. Uh, that was a very uh, intriguing book. Uh, you know, I thought that might be a good one to look at sometime. You know, it always sounds so simple, you know, those titles, and so promising. But seriously, I mean, really, (laughs) is that the kind of change, is that really possible? Can you really change your life in five minutes a day? Can an introvert become the life of a party? (laughs) Can a procrastinator uh, learn to work ahead? You know, can, uh, um, you know, someone who is dealing with um, uh, different struggles, can they all of a sudden solve those in 10 minutes, 10 days? One psychologist has his doubts. He, he says this, you can train a poodle to bark, but it'll never be a German shepherd. <laughs> you know, can we change really who we are deep down, deep inside of us? And what's true of people in general A desire to become a better person, you know? We always come to the January 1st of every year, we want to be a better person, so we set those marks, you know? What we want to do is we want to become a better person, but that takes on special meaning for us as Christ followers, doesn't it? And we not only want to become a better person, but you and I, we we want to become Christ-like people. I mean, that's one of our goals if you're here as a church, right? You've heard me say it before. As a church body, we want... Christ increasingly to become formed in each one of us. So how does that happen? Frank is a a little bit older believer. He grew up in the church. He's been trying to follow Christ, I mean, basically all of his life. Over the years, he certainly has grown in his faith. I mean, he's made progress in some areas, and he would tell you that. But there's still some things that he would like to change about himself. He's still not the man that he, he really wants to be. He isn't the Christ follower that he one day, uh, you know, in the past he he thought would be we possible. And this whole idea of becoming like Christ to him now, you know, seems to be this kind of pipe dream. And to be truthful. Sometimes that desire seems to be more of a burden. I mean, the older he gets, the more impossible it seems. So sometimes, you know, <laughs> honestly, he asks a question, well, you know, is it even worth the effort anymore? Listen, I, I think that that's not only a question that Frank has, but I, I think it's a question that we all might be struggling with at different times, Right? No matter how old we might be or how long we've been following Christ. I mean, if you could change one thing about yourself, what would it be? Is it really possible for people like you and me to, you know, become like Christ, to have Christ formed in us? I mean, what hope can we have? I invite you to turn with me once again to 1 John this morning. 1 John, again, it's near the end of the New Testament. 1 John, it comes after 1 and 2 Peter. This morning, we're going to wrap up our series uh, that uh, we've titled Going Deeper. We've been in this series since uh, the beginning of January. During this series, we've discovered some um, great truths that have helped us understand how to go deeper in our faith and how to go deeper in our knowledge of God and His Word and deeper into Christ's likeness. Uh, this morning, we're going to discover deep hope. Deep hope. So where do you find this hope? Well, it all begins in the present reality. Um, look with me. Uh, 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. Look what he says here. So what kind of love, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God? And so we are. (laughs) As John reflects on who he is in the present, (laughs) he's reminded of what God has already done for him, what God has already done for us. John says, I'm a child of God's. As believers, see, we, we are... Children of God. I like how Eugene Peterson translates this verse in his paraphrase, The Message. He writes, it translates it, what marvelous love the Father has extended to us. I mean, just look at it. We're we're called children of God. That's who we really are. You know, can't you hear John's voice, you know, just full of amazement at this truth as he writes this? I mean, he's astonished at this reality. He's overwhelmed with how marvelous God's love is for us, a love that has lifted us up from the position of guilty sinners to that of divine sonship. It's a love that's selfless. It's a love that has given, even though the objects of that love are unlovely, right? It's a love that we don't deserve. <laughs> it's a love that goes beyond just being rescued and beyond a, a sacrifice. No, it's a, it's a lavish love poured out on us, given to us. When John says that we should be called children of God here, um, he means more than the fact that he's just naming us his children. No, he, he's talking about making us His children. We belong to God as surely and permanently as a child belongs to their parents. One evening, while putting her daughter to bed, Elizabeth asked her daughter, Carla, um, what it was like to be four years old. (laughs) Little Carla said, Well, it's special. (laughs) Her mother asked, Well, why is it special? Little Carla responded, It's special because I know my mommy loves me. (laughs) Elizabeth walked away, that mom, she walked away thinking, what a profound thought. If I'd only taken the time, I could see, like Carla, that my life is special because my heavenly father loves me. (laughs) Listen, I want to do something we don't do around here very often, but before moving on, I want to invite you to turn to the person next to you this morning. And simply remind them, um, you know, I'm special because my Heavenly Father loves me. Would you turn and and just tell them that? I'm special because my Heavenly Father loves me. (laughs) Thank you. I hope we all need that encouraging reminder. That's who we are presently. That's our present reality as followers of of Christ. See, um, what makes us children, John says is that we were born of God. Look back with me at chapter 2, verse 29. Look what he says there. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him, has been born of God. See, we have experienced a new birth. For John, this idea of a new birth, that was central to his thinking. You go back to his gospel, and remember how John... um, told us about Jesus' conversation, remember that, uh, with Nicodemus, how Jesus had that conversation? And Jesus said to Nicodemus, said, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is what? Born again, right? Jesus (laughs) was telling Nicodemus uh, about the need of every person to be born spiritually into God's family. See, there's the first birth that results in earthly life, and there's a second birth that results in eternal life. You say, well, how does this second birth actually take place? Well, John told us, again, in his gospel, in the prologue of his gospel, he said this, yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of a natural descent nor of a human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. See, contrary to popular opinion and a popular belief out there, everyone you run into at the ball, you know, or everyone you talk to on the phone, everyone's not a child of God automatically just simply because they are humans. We become children of God when we're born again from above, when we turn to Christ in repentance and faith and ask him to save us and make us into one of his sons or daughters, a son or daughter of God. So you say, well, how will we know that we are actually a child of God's? Well, John tells us the person who's experienced a new birth will exhibit a family resemblance. He told us that there again in verse 29. Look again. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. See, listen, if we've been born of God, we have this um, righteous gene in us. We've inherited... Uh, This propensity, this this capacity for doing good and doing right. Later on in chapter 3, in fact, look with me. Chapter 3, verse 9. Look what he says here. John puts it this way. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this, it's evident who are the children of God. As the old proverb says, you know, Like father, like son. (laughs) That same idea can be said of every member of God's family. William Barclay, in his commentary, writes it this way. Just as to belong to a great school, a great regiment, a great church, a great household is an inspiration to fine living, so even more to bear the name of the family of God is something to keep a man's feet on the right way and to set him climbing. See, the present reality is that we are God's children through faith in Jesus Christ. And that foundational truth brings with it a future hope. In fact, two profound privileges that are ours. The first privilege is simply this, that as God's children, we can have confidence with our Father. Now, look back with me at chapter 2, verse 28. Look what he says here. And now, little children, abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. Two times, you notice this? Two times in that one verse, John mentions the second coming of Christ. The first time he mentions it when he says, when he appears. When he appears. That specific word, appears there, Um, describes the invisible becoming visible, appearing. The hidden, once again being revealed. Um, The idea is that when Jesus was born, see, all of a sudden the invisible God, right, became visible. The Word became flesh, right, and dwelt among us. God could then be seen and could be heard and could could be touched. In fact, John had referred to that in the very first uh, words of this letter to let his people know that he had been there. He had seen him. He had touched him. He had touched and talked to and heard Jesus. But then just when his followers were getting used to having him around, Jesus disappears, taken up into heaven. And although he was still present with them in his spirit, he was invisible, hidden once again. But someday, John says, he will be visible again. He will appear and we will see him just as he is, he tells us. The second mention of Jesus' return here in this verse is when John uses the phrase at the end, he says, at his coming. At his coming. Now, that particular word there that he uses describes is is a Greek word that is used to describe a king riding into one of his territories to be welcomed and, and honored and cheered by his subjects. Remember, uh, that in the ancient world, there was no uh, TV cameras broadcasting a king or a queen's image. You know, there, I mean, there, was, there was no internet where you could see photos of uh, you know, the king uh, on your laptop. There, uh, there, there were no YouTube videos of the, the king or queen's latest speech. <laughs> Most people in those days, they lived their whole lives never once actually seen their king. So, listen, on the rare occasion that a king would come through their village or through their city, I mean, that was a a huge, glorious event. People would line the streets in order to catch a glimpse of the king. Now, remember, John is writing to these, these people who are living some 50, 60 years after Jesus actually walked the earth. They had never seen him. The people John's writing to, they had never heard Jesus. And so John wants them to know that one day, one day, (laughs) he will come again in power and glory for all to see, all to hear, all to experience. And I think you and I, we, we need to remember that truth as well, don't we? After all, we're not just three or four generations removed from the historical Jesus but we're 50 generations or more, 2,000 years removed. And so it's easy to forget, I think, especially as we look around at our world and all the threats and the craziness that seems to be going on all around us. It's so easy to forget that God really walked this earth in the person of, of his son. And it's even more difficult for us sometimes to believe that that he is going to come again to this earth and to be seen and to be heard by all people everywhere. But John, see, he wants to assure us, he wants to let us know that it will indeed happen. Jesus will come again. And when he does, he says, then as God's children, we can approach him with confidence. And not shrink back. Do you notice those two adjectives he uses here? He says that when he appears, we may have conference and not shrink from him in shame. Um, you know, a person um, either has, uh, will either come into God's presence and he, with confidence, or they'll come in a sense of shame, they'll come with a, a sense of, of fear. Two opposing positions he seems to be marking out here, doesn't he? Growing up, I I remember watching a movie that they showed in church just back in the 70s. So maybe some of you haven't seen this or aren't familiar with it. But it was a movie that scared me to death called Thief in the Night. (laughs) And we sang a song, um, uh, you know, in our youth group back in the 70s. A song uh, scared me even more. (laughs) song went like this, children died, the days grew cold, a piece of bread could buy a bag of gold, I wish we'd all been ready. Two men walking up a hill, one disappears and one left standing still, I wish we'd all been ready. There's no time to change your mind, the sun has come and you've been left behind. <laughs> You know, sing that song at the end of a week of camp and around a bonfire, and believe me, you're ready to come to Jesus. You know what I mean? We were all told about Jesus' second coming, but as I recall it as a, as a youth, as, it was never, a, 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 coming to Jesus was never a good, positive thing. Instead, it always like, scared you to death. But Jesus' second coming Um, is not meant to inspire fear from those who are his children, but rather hope. John's purpose here is to remind us of the privilege that we have as children of God, that as a child of God, you can look forward to that day when Christ returns with confidence, and you can look forward with with a sense of joy. Just picture of a, a military family. It's to be like this. Military families stand on the tarmac waiting for their father to step off of the troop transport home from a year away at war. As soon as father appears, the kids rush towards their dad, throwing themselves with abandon into his arms, and then having hugged him as tightly as they can, they lean back and just, they just look up at him. <laughs> they want to see him as he is his smiling face, his loving eyes. Listen, in the same way, if we're children of God, we look forward to Christ's return with confidence. We don't have to worry about being left behind. (laughs) No, we don't have to run for cover. No, we'll welcome him. We'll behold him. Not only as children, as children of God can we approach God with confidence, but we also have the privilege of becoming like him. Look with me at chapter 3, verse 2. Look what John writes here. He says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, there's that word appears again, when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. See, when we see God, we will become like God. As one of his children, we not only belong to God, we'll, we resemble him. Um, I mean, we can't help it. We carry his DNA in us. Back in 1979, Jim Lewis and Jim Springer, identical twins who had been separated and raised apart from the age of four weeks, were finally reunited at the age of 39, what they discovered was quite fascinating. Although they had been raised in different homes by different parents in different locations, they had both suffered, they both suffered from tension headaches. They discovered as they just talked about what, what each other their life was like, they discovered they were both prone to nail biting. <laughs> they both smoked Salem cigarettes. They both drove the same type of car, a Chevy. And they even vacationed to the same beach in Florida. <laughs> now, I'm not sure how to explain all of that. Um, but it illustrates the power of family likeness. It gets passed on from one generation to another. So once we've been born of God, listen, we have the life of God within us. So we will be like him. But it's not just the DNA that's going to be uh, that gets passed along. No, the values and habits and passions of the family get passed along as well, don't they? So listen, if your last name is Manning, you probably play football. You know? If your name is Kennedy, you you probably know politics. <laughs> if your name is Baldwin, it's no surprise you're in show business. And if your name is Christian, you're destined to be like Christ. <laughs> It's in the genes. It's, it, it's who you are. Unfortunately, I got I have to admit, we still have that old nature within us, too, right? The one we inherited from our natural parents and from Adam and Eve. To struggle sometimes, right? To live by the new nature rather than the old one. That's why John, when he says there at the beginning of verse 2, he says, what we will Uh, has not yet appeared. He's referring to the fact that God's not finished with us yet. The glass that we are looking through, it's still dark, it's hard to, to see through it clearly. Right now in this life, we struggle to be like Christ. But the fact remains that we are now God's children. We have this life, we have his nature, we have it all at work within us. So becoming like Christ, it it isn't just a possibility, friends. It's a promise. Take it to the bank. (laughs) Someday, we will see him face to face in all his glory, and then we will be like him. We'll become people that we long to be, people that we were born to be, and that gives us all hope. He reminds us of that in verse 3. Look with me, chapter 3, verse 3. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Our transformation, it depends on Christ's nature and work. He is pure, and our hope and our trust is in that purifying, cleansing work of Christ taking place in us. So how's that transformation into Christ's likeness, this purification from all sin, how does that happen? It's certainly not automatic, is it? I mean, you have to act towards it. But it's not a matter of gritting your, gritting your teeth and just trying harder. It's a matter of spending as much time with Christ as possible. Again, look back with me. Chapter 2, verse 28. Look what he says here. And now, little children, abide in him. If your Bibles, if you underline, circle that. Abide in Him. Take us back to John 15, doesn't it? The, the, the vine, abide in the vine. That's the key to our transformation. We must abide in Him. Or as John has said in other places in this letter, uh, live in Him, or let the Word of God let it remain in you. That's how it works in a family, right? Kids become like their parents by by hanging around them, by spending time with them day in and day out, by by watching what they do. The Manning boys were born with some good DNA, but listen, they learned the game of football by hanging around their Hall of Fame dad. (laughs) Playing catch in the backyard, watching games together, hanging around on on, on the sidelines until one day they became what they were born and bred to be. That is NFL quarterbacks. (laughs) In the same way, the best way to become like Christ is to spend time with Christ. Having Christ formed in you isn't a matter of trying harder. It's a matter of getting closer. Let me repeat that because I think it's very important. Having Christ formed in you isn't a matter of trying harder. It's a matter of getting closer. (laughs) It's a matter of abiding in Christ as much as possible, spending time with him in the morning or at the end of the day, talking to him as you make your way through your day, worshiping him each Sunday, coming together, gathering together and worship. Hanging out with his people. Connecting to others to share life and do life together who are also followers of Christ, children of God. Joining him in his work in this world. Because the more we are with him, the more we will be like him. So what does that mean for Frank, the elderly Christ follower? Well, it means that there's hope. It means it's never too late to change, to grow, It means that day by day, he is becoming a person that he has always longed to be, the person he was born to be when when he put his faith in Christ, a person that one day he will be when he sees Christ face to face. Whether he has many years left or just a few years left, whether it happens at his death or at Christ's return, Frank will one day be fully conformed to the image of God's Son and will live and reign with Christ forever and ever. That's Frank's hope. That same hope is available to everyone who's been born of God through faith in Christ. (laughs) It's a deep hope that can carry us through all the years of our lives, through those dry times and those difficult seasons and those times of disappointment with ourselves and with one another. It's a hope that sustains us in our struggles with sin it's a hope that carries us despite the fullness of this world. As children of God, our hope is that we are being transformed and one day, one day we will be like Christ, the person we all long to be. <laughs> that life, that hope, that can be yours. That can be yours. If you have been born again through faith in Jesus Christ, remember, <laughs> you can teach a poodle to bark, but he'll never be a German Shepherd. You can't teach yourself to be good. I mean, you could buy every self improvement book you can find on those shelves over at Barnes and Noble's. I mean, you can grit your teeth and just try harder. But the only way for a son of Adam or a daughter of Eve to become a child of God is to be born of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And once that happens, then becoming a better person, becoming more like Christ, is simply a matter of spending as much time with him as possible and looking forward to the day of his return. So here's my question for all of us as we end this sermon series going deeper. What do you want to do this next year? What do you want to do? How are you going to abide in Christ more? What are the next steps for you? Being in his word more often? Gathering together with his people on Sunday mornings and and worshiping together and and, and coming together to be encouraged. Getting connected. Maybe the next step for you is to get connected into a small group where you can share life and and challenge and encourage one another. Maybe the next step for you is finding a place to serve him. I want to invite you to take your bulletins out. Take your bulletins out. I don't care where you put it. Maybe you want to put it on the outline page, but I'm going to invite you to take a time. Just take a moment and and jot down. Jot it down. Write your next steps down somewhere, maybe on the outline. What's the next step God might be saying to you this morning? What are you hearing God say? What's the next step for you in order to have Christ formed in you this next year? Take a few minutes. A few moments, and I'll close this in prayer. Jesus, we don't get quiet very often. We don't just settle our hearts and minds and souls, try to listen to you. I pray right now that each person here would take that time. They'd listen to your spirit speak. They'd be open to what you have to say to them. Jesus, we want you formed in us. We want to carry your family resemblance into our worlds and into our homes and into our workplaces, into our schools. Father, we're overwhelmed with the truth that we are your children. It's amazing for me to think about children of the sovereign God of this universe. We're children of the bright morning star. We're children of the Heavenly Father. And that's what we are. <laughs> Father, we worship you. We praise you for this miracle. In your Son's precious and holy name. Amen.